0: Good morning, everyone. Okay. Fantastic. Uh, it's a joy, it's a pleasure to be here with you, to worship the Lord together. And it's my joy to open God's word for you this morning. We've been working our way through the gospel of Mark, section by section. And today we'll be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 32 to 45. So there's a little bit of a... A little bit of an overlap with uh, last week's message, Mark chapter one verses thirty-two to forty-five. Last week, we saw Jesus's authority revealed and put on display in a variety wa- in a variety of ways in Mark one verses twenty-one to thirty-four. We saw Jesus. We saw that Jesus taught with a a one-of-a-kind authority that amazed and even unsettled people. We saw his authority over demons, how he commanded them and they obeyed instantly. And we saw his authority over sickness, his ability to heal and uh, heal immediately. And everything we saw last week, you might you you remember took place in one day this was a a full day for jesus he preached in a synagogue which is somewhat like a jewish church and he cast out a demon out of a man while he was there then after that service he went to lunch at his disciple simon peter's home and he healed peter's mother-in-law there And then we saw that the day ended like this. This is Mark 1 verse 32 to 34. That evening at sunset they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In all likelihood, interacting with all these people, casting out all these demons, healing all these people would have taken several hours. So this was a a, a late night for Jesus, the end to a long, long day. And here certainly we see Jesus' popularity His popularity exploded in one day. With one morning of uniquely authoritative teaching and casting out a demon, followed by healing one lady around lunchtime, the whole city got word of this and gathered at the door at sunset. The whole city is Mark's words. Now, of course, there's some exaggeration there, but the point is, Many, many, many people from throughout the city gathered at the door. His fame spread quickly. And with how quickly people responded and sought him out after a couple of miracles in the morning, surely then that momentum must just pick up and build After an entire evening now of healing many and casting out many demons. How much more would his fame have spread? How many more people would he find surrounding the house first thing in the morning, waiting for their healing or for him to cast out another demon? What would this next day look like? Well, let's continue reading in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. There he prayed. We see in this passage, Jesus' priorities. And the first of those priorities for us to focus on is prayer remember we said that Jesus, though he's fully God, is also fully man. And he had to fulfill the mission God gave him as Messiah. He had to fulfill that mission as a man. So that means that some of his attributes, though they're still fully his, are attributes that he is not accessing, that he is not making use of. Our God is in the heavens and he never slumbers or sleeps. Jesus, however, got tired. Jesus did sleep. And one thing we can notice here is Jesus' dependence on his Father. Jesus' dependence on his Father. And the fact that prayer, I believe, is supposed to be something refreshing and rejuvenating to us. Something that's supposed to give us us life, so to speak. And that was convicting to me this week as I studied this passage. When you are exhausted and need a break, do you see time in God's word And extended times of prayer as refreshing, as rejuvenating. I have no problem at all with us sleeping in after a long, hard day or perhaps doing some sort of hobby or activity that we find relaxing. Things like this are gifts from God. They're part of how he created this world in his kindness. They should be received and enjoyed as the gifts that they are with thanksgiving to God. But I also want to ask myself, when was the last time that I thought to myself, yo, I'm exhausted. Let me go spend some extended time in prayer. When was the last time that I approached prayer like that? As not something burdensome, but something... Life-giving. It's not another task to do, but something refreshing and rejuvenating. And when was the last time I was so eager for that that I I rose and, as the text says, very early while it was still dark, in order to make sure that I was able to carve out some time, that I was able to get away from the things that might distract me, that I was able to guarantee that I would find the time for that prayer. You know, many of us, I think, will find ourselves saying from time to time, I want to pray, but life's just so busy. And there's an expression I've heard a few times that I think is a wise response to that mindset. If we're thinking accurately, in reality we should say, life is too busy for me not to pray. Life is too busy for me not to pray. How am I going to have the energy? How am I going to have the joy? How am I going to have the fuel to just keep going in the midst of a busy and full and often difficult life without my communion with the Father, without my dependence on Him. Life is too busy for us not to pray. The second lesson I think we can learn from Jesus' dependence on the Father in prayer, His prioritizing of prayer, is our need to depend on God through prayer for wisdom and strength when facing temptation or major decisions continue reading with me from verse 36 and Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him everyone is looking for you and he said to them let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also for that is what I came for and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So, unsurprisingly, after this full night of healing and casting out demons, the crowds are back the next morning. And as Jesus' disciples report to him, everyone is looking for him. We want part two. Part one was great last night. Let's keep this going. Where are you, Jesus? And his disciples themselves want him to go back to the city. They want him to keep healing people and keep casting out demons. There's pressure from his disciples. Pressure from all the people in Capernaum who want him to come back. And there's the promise of riding a wave of popularity. And continuing to draw a bigger and bigger and bigger crowd. And become more and more famous. Surely, surely that's good for Jesus. Surely he would want that. But Jesus has been talking to God the Father about all this. And having prayed, Jesus knows there's another direction for him to take. Having prayed, Jesus says with conviction that it's time to move on, he needs to keep preaching far and wide see Jesus has a mission to fulfill from God the Father and we know that the most central part of that mission is his death on the cross we remember right that this is the most central event in the history of the universe that this is how God saves sinners Through Jesus taking the penalty we deserve for our sins on the cross and Jesus gifting to those who put their faith in him his perfect righteousness as the perfect son of God who obeyed God completely and fully in every way. That is where forgiveness is found, there and nowhere else. So Jesus must go to the cross but before that happens, he has other things to do too. He, he needs to preach far and wide. He needs to announce, as we've already seen, that the time is fulfilled, right? The Messiah is, here. Yeah, the kingdom of God is near because Jesus the King has come. He wants to prepare as many people as he can for when he goes to the cross, so that when he dies on the cross, they are ready to understand the significance of that death and to realize it's not defeat as it may seem, but it is actually victory. It is actually his victory over death. So he tells his disciples, let us go on to the next helms, that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. See, this is the first glimpse we get of of what becomes a recurring struggle for Jesus with his disciples. They want to take the quickest road to Jesus being enthroned as king. They don't understand God's timeline or the road he's marked out for Jesus to travel. And most especially we'll see that they really struggle to understand the cross. So Jesus prays, Jesus prays, and very likely he prays for the wisdom to make the right decision and for the strength to choose the right path and to follow through with it, even when other options seem more appealing or more likely to be successful. The temptation for Jesus to take shortcuts is a recurring Uh, temptation throughout his mission on earth. You'll remember back to Brother Doomy's sermons from Jesus' temptations in the wilderness. So much of his temptations, of these temptations are essentially based on why take this long and difficult road? Why not take the shortcuts? Why not find a way that doesn't involve the cross? Why not just go straight to the throne. But Jesus is not going to take shortcuts. He's going to follow the road God has called him to. And brothers and sisters, if the perfect son of God, the sinless holy one, needed to depend on God in prayer, we do too. We do too. If we want to live our lives as faithfully, If we want to honor God in all that he's called us to, we need to go to him, looking to him to help us to make wise decisions and to give us the strength we need to follow through with those decisions, even when it's difficult. Next, we see Jesus' priority to preach and to preach far and wide. He wants to preach far and wide, we've already said, so that more will hear of him and have the opportunity to put their faith in him. One commentator put it this way, and I thought this was very interesting. There may even be an intended double meaning in the words that that Simon Peter says to him. Everyone is looking for you. Because yes, everyone in Capernaum is looking for him. But bigger than that, All of Israel is looking for their Messiah to come. Everyone is looking for him. Everyone needs him. And it's exactly because of that that he can't simply go back to Capernaum. He must press on and preach in other villages. A second reason we can see for this priority, uh, this plan that Jesus has, is because he's not just looking for any type of interest in him. He's looking for the right type of interest. He's looking for believing interest, for people who are coming to him because they believe his message, because they receive him as the Messiah, not just because they want him to heal them. He's looking for people who are coming to them as a... As who um, are coming to him rather as their savior and lord, not just as a vending machine, not just as Father Christmas. They're looking; he's looking for people who are coming to him for who he is, not just for his gifts. There's a huge difference between the motive of crowds. Coming to listen intently to preaching, eager to know God better, eager to make changes in their lives so that they can honor Him more faithfully in every aspect of life. Big difference between those motives and the motives of crowds queuing outside a store the night before Black Friday. Ready to wrestle their way into the store to get the best deal on the biggest TV. If Jesus isn't careful in how he goes about things, he's going to use up all his time and energy on the second group. People who have no interest in him, they just want the healings. They just want to see demons cast out. They just want things from him. A third reason for this approach Jesus is going to take where he's going to keep moving from town to town is the question of what is most important. Even when those Jesus heals are also people who believe in him, also sincere people, also people who are genuinely interested in him and who he is, genuinely seeking to to believe in him and follow him and embrace him as Savior and Lord, even when that's the case, their belief in him is more important than their physical healing. And preaching is more important to Jesus than healing or casting out demons. But this isn't the way we tend to think, is it? I mean, imagine if Jesus was walking the streets of Pretoria today, there's no doubt what aspect of his ministry would be most important in the minds of the average person. The average person on the street would want Jesus to focus on healing, 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 more healing, right? In fact, they'd be pretty frustrated if he took any time for preaching. Don't waste time on this preaching stuff, more healing. It's not Jesus' priority though, preaching is preaching is and it's important for us to think about this and to think about why this makes sense my friends we need to realize that sin is our biggest problem and jesus came into this world to save sinners jesus came into this world to address our biggest problem first and foremost We need to know Him as Messiah. We need to know Him as Savior and Lord and King. All of us. That is far more important than other things that we may feel are more important. Secondly, suffering in this life is temporary. This life, according to Scripture, is just a vapor. It's there and then it's gone. But eternity is just that, eternal. And the suffering that comes from being alienated from God is eternal. Thirdly, in the long run, all of us who have been reconciled to God through the cross will have all our physical worldly problems addressed as well. Sin is the root of all our problems. Addressing sin, by Jesus addressing sin, He will in time address all the fruit of sin also. We have a glorious future awaiting us with no more sickness, no more difficulties, no more sadness. And that is all made possible because Jesus defeated sin and death on the cross. It's all made possible Because Jesus is victorious over Satan. Jesus is victorious over sin and death. And we will enjoy the new heaven and the new earth with him forever. Fourthly, even during the remaining time we have here on earth, when suffering will continue, when suffering is real. I wholeheartedly believe that knowing Christ is the best way to help people. I wholeheartedly believe that. Now, of course, we're not thinking properly if that means that we aren't sensitive to obvious, immediate, urgent needs. If someone is drowning, pull them out of the water. If someone is bleeding, stop the bleeding. If someone is starving, feed them, of course. But how do we help people know peace? Real peace. Real contentment. Real joy. Real unshakable hope in the midst of life and a cursed Fallen, broken world, full of sin. How do we do that? Tell them about Jesus. We help them come to know Jesus. We help them walk with Jesus. We teach them of all that He has accomplished for them in the cross. And all that awaits them in eternity. And that, that changes everything. That, as we were hearing hearing from Brother Jimmy earlier, is how people can be singing praises to God in prison. That is how people dying of cancer can still have a joy that blows people away. That is how people come to ask, What is the reason for the hope within you? Your life is difficult. This doesn't make sense. How are you so happy? Not bouncing off the walls happy. Settled, deeply rooted, happiness, joy, peace, contentment, meaningful happiness and joy. Not just circumstantial happiness and joy. Jesus, this is what is most important. And another reason we can see for Jesus' plan moving forward here is just practical realities. It's, it's, it's interesting. Jesus needs to keep moving from place to place in order to manage how much his popularity builds in any one place. And that's so that he can have the freedom to move around and the time necessary to preach everywhere he wants to preach and to be able to focus on what he wants to focus on. He wants to spend time in prayer. He wants to spend time um, investing in and training his disciples. In just a moment, you'll see a case in point of what I'm talking about, how when he, when when uh, his fame grows too quickly, the popularity grows too quickly, how it just makes it difficult for Jesus to really be able to 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 do exactly what I just described, for him to move around freely, for him to focus on preaching, for him to focus on training the disciples, makes it difficult for him to not, uh, to to not just be faced constantly with with the push and demands of the crowds, wanting miracle after miracle after miracle. But there's also another aspect that we won't really begin to see uh, playing out in the book of Mark until next week's sermon. And that is uh, that Jesus also knows that the more famous he gets in any one place, the more attention he draws from crowds, the more the Roman uh, authorities and the religious authorities too uh, are going to start seeing him as a threat. And if he's not careful with this dynamic, he might end up getting imprisoned or crucified too soon before he's had the opportunity to preach everywhere he wants to preach and to finish training His disciples. Jesus' problem of popularity. A case in point. Okay, so now Mark illustrates this. He shows us. He gives us an example uh, of exactly what I've just been talking about. Starting in verse 40, we read. And a leper came to him, imploring him. And kneeling, said to him, If you will... You can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. As Jesus is traveling from village to village preaching, a leper comes up to him and begs him to heal him. Now leprosy or or as it's sometimes called today Hansen's disease is a serious skin disease that can result in paralysis or losing parts of your body like your fingers or a foot something like that. And medication and treatment for this disease is much much better today than it was in the time of Jesus. Back then it was a very serious problem. But It's also true that during the time of Jesus, the term leprosy was used quite broadly. It referred to this disease, to Hansen's disease, but it also referred to a variety of other skin diseases, some of which were not nearly as serious uh, as true leprosy. But what was always serious for someone considered a leper during those times was the social and religious consequences of having one of these skin diseases. You see, lepers were considered unclean. Unclean. And as unclean, they were not allowed into the temple. They were not allowed into synagogues to worship. In fact, they weren't even allowed around people at all. Because if they touched another person or even just came within a certain distance of other people, that was enough for those people to be considered unclean too. So lepers were expected to wear certain clothing that identified them as lepers and they were expected to keep their distance. So they lived outside, pretty much out in the wilderness. It was an incredibly lonely life and a desperate life also because it was even difficult for them to provide for themselves. They can't just Work an ordinary job, for example. So this man comes to Jesus and Jesus feels pity for him. He reaches out and he touches him, right? Disregarding, disregarding the laws that would have considered him unclean for doing so. He reaches out and he touches him and he says, be clean. And immediately, immediately the man is healed. Instead of a touch from the unclean man making Jesus unclean, a touch from Jesus, the clean man, makes the leper clean. goes opposite to what was expected. And the man is completely healed. He is made clean. So, actually, as a little side note here, if we wanted to keep building on, on last week's sermon about various expressions of Jesus' authority, this is another category. Yes, it's another example of Jesus' healing, but it's specifically an example of Jesus' authority to make the unclean clean. Jesus' authority to make those who are Impure pure. Jesus' authority to make those who are who do not have access to him have, uh, to, to allow them to have access to him. Jesus has full authority. And he gives directives to this man. He says, tells him not to tell anyone. Right? Not to tell anyone, which, which seems a bit strange. And then orders him to go and show the priests that he no longer has any symptoms and can now be considered clean. Here's what I mean by that. See, the way this worked uh, at the time was that once you were recognized as a leper, you were continue, the people continued to consider you a leper, treat you as a leper, Unless you went to a priest and had them assess your symptoms and declare you to now be officially clean. Once that happened, you would be allowed to join in with the community again. There were also some sacrifices and rituals that the priest would do with you as a part of this process of recognizing you as being clean now. So that's what Jesus instructs him to do. And once this is all done, he could return to religious and community life. And he could live a normal life again. He's restored back to living a normal life. There's probably at least two reasons why Jesus commanded this man to do this. First of all, he wants him to be able to resume normal life again. He wants him to be able to to. Uh, enjoy the full blessings of this healing, which again is not just about the healing from the disease. It's about being able to return to community and religious life. Jesus wants it to be crystal clear to everyone that this man really has been healed and really can be fully embraced back into normal life again. A second reason is probably because this also serves as an official record to the religious leaders that someone they had once recognized as unclean someone they had once recognized as a leper has now been healed and made clean by Jesus they would have their own stamp of approval on this miracle they would have they would have a man that they declared unclean now a man that they declared to be clean and this would have served as a strategic way for jesus to begin making himself known to the priests to that category of the religious authorities in israel but what about the command not to tell anyone else that's the part that seems especially strange And part of this is about people coming to him for the right reasons, like we've talked about, right? Part of this is about Jesus managing how many people come to him looking for healing, healing, healing. He wants people to be coming to him as Messiah, as Savior, as King. But it's also about timing, all right, remember as I talked about Jesus managing how quickly he becomes famous and popular, especially in a particular area? In the long run, Jesus will be able to tell more people about himself if he can manage how quickly his popularity grows. If he can spread out his fame over a wide area rather than having it absolutely explode in one place. This will allow him to travel more freely, to draw less attention to himself, and to keep himself out of trouble with the authorities. That's what we see here, right? We see, we see how all of this happens when the man doesn't follow Jesus' direction, right? Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it, and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Okay. So imagine imagine the dynamics here. Basically, it, it gets to such a point that if people know Jesus is coming... As he arrives at the town, the crowds are already so dense, so thick, that he's just absolutely swamped and with demands. Please help with this. Please help with that. Please heal this. Please please cast out this demon. And so if he wants any opportunity to just be able to preach, he has to just stay out in, in the surrounding areas around the town find a nice place with space around him and just let the word get out that that's where he is so that the people come out of the town and come to him. And we'll see see later in some other cases, you even see Jesus having to do things like get in a boat and have the boat pushed out into the lake to create some distance. It's the only way, (laughs) only way he's able to preach and keep that priority and stay focused on what's most important now what application can we draw from this passage first of all I want to ask you why do you why do you come to Jesus is it for who he is Do you come to Him because you know you need for a Savior and you know that He is the one and only Savior? Do you come to Him because you know that He is God, very God, the King of kings, worthy of your complete devotion, all your worship? Do you come to Him eager to give Him your life, to live for Him and His glory? Or are you coming to Him the same way you would go anywhere else? (laughs) The same way you would go anywhere else that you thought would guarantee you a job promotion, better health, an increase in pay? Are you coming to Jesus for who He is or simply for His gifts? My friends, Jesus is compassionate. He sees what we're going through. He feels pity for us as he felt pity for this leper. It's not wrong to ask him for his help, for healing, for financial provision, for help with various trials. It's not wrong. In fact, it's good and right. But we need to remember that our God is an end. He is the end. He's not a means. Okay, and what we mean by that is that all of life is lived ultimately for the goal of him himself. He is not something that I use to get something else. The good news of the gospel is that we are reconciled to God himself. Better news, better news than the fact that we're not going to hell is the news that we get to spend eternity with God. That's better news. It's better news to know that we can be a child of God. We can have a relationship with God. My friends, God is not a vending machine. He's not Father Christmas. He's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's the creator of everything. He is holy, holy, holy. He is glorious in and of himself. The second question for us to consider is what what should ministry look like that reflects Jesus' perspective and priorities? Okay. Now we've talked already about the fact that imitating Jesus, following his example, doesn't mean that we follow every detail in the sense that Jesus had a unique mission. I don't need to go out and find a cross to be crucified on. That's that's not the point. That was something Jesus was uniquely called to. And so there'll be aspects of that that we need to think through, okay? Jesus had this particular mission. He needed to train his disciples. He needed to announce that the kingdom had arrived and he needed to go to the cross. But there's still things that we can draw from this, there's lessons we can learn from this. We need to go about ministry in a way that prizes God above his gifts, right? I hope you are here today for God Himself, and we need to go about even how we evangelize with that in mind. There's a uh, an evangelist called Ray Comfort who uses this as an illustration. He says, you know, um, sometimes the way we're doing evangelism is like, is like uh, talking to somebody on a plane and that plane is going to crash, okay? But we're trying to motivate them to put on a, 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 a parachute, which is a big bulky uh, backpack, right? And the parachute comes out of that backpack and that parachute is going to save their life. But instead of talking to them about the fact that the plane is going to crash, the only way for you to live is to put this backpack on. If you don't, you're doomed, right? Instead of us approaching evangelism that way, we're like, you know, this is a really nice looking backpack. It's really stylish. If you put this backpack on, you'll be more comfortable. You'll have a more pleasant flight. And then they put the backpack on, right? And it's big and it's bulky. Right? It's like, it's like Jimmy was saying earlier. The reality is, oftentimes we come to the Lord and life gets harder. Family starts thinking we're weird. Some of our friends start distancing themselves from us. You know, people don't think we're as funny anymore because we, we no longer tell inappropriate jokes. Right? We're actually struggle in the workplace a little bit because we want to do things the correct way and some of our co-workers are cutting corners and that sort of thing and we won't do that anymore it gets more difficult so then somebody then thinking oh, okay well if this is what the Christian life is for then they take the, they take the parachute off and they throw it away because it didn't actually make their life easier did it no so. We need to go about ministry in a way where we're not making empty, fluffy, and and, and honestly superficial, shallow promises. We need to tell people, right, that our God calls them to follow Him even when that means turning their back on anything and everything else that they value. And we need to tell them, it's worth it. Yes, it's hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Come, join me. Join me in having Jesus be your greatest treasure. Join him in, in, Join me in having Jesus be something that is all, in, be someone rather, <laughs> of course. Who is all-encompassing, that you live your whole life for. We need to realize, too, that what this means is prioritizing the message of the gospel. There are many good things that Christians can do, and as we have opportunity, should do. Okay, But first and foremost is this message. This message. I, I need to remind myself of this often. Uh, we've got you know people who come, come to us uh, looking for financial help. Sometimes some people coming to us regularly looking for financial help. And, and I'm, I'm trying to show kindness. I'm trying to help people. Um, trying to be careful about things like not just giving them money so that they go and get alcohol, but actually giving them food or maybe giving them some work to do and then paying them things like that trying to be wise about all that but i have to keep reminding myself you have only really helped them a little bit if you haven't told them about jesus i mean somebody can come back to me for years i can feed them every day i can offer them a, a place to take a shower i can give them rides when they need to go to the hospital. I can do all sorts of kindnesses, but I haven't really loved them. I haven't helped them truly until I'm telling them about Jesus. Okay? And look, I'm telling you this as someone who, uh, you know, is is, is uh, big on on things like adoption. I love adoption. I'm an adoptive father. My wife and I, We're in adoption ministry for years. I think more Christians need to think about adoption, think about ways to help the orphan. Uh, There's there's a lot of wonderful, fantastic causes out there. But first and foremost, people need to know the gospel. That That is how we love people best and certainly how we glorify God most. Okay, but then that also next step is we still do good to others as we have opportunity, right? That's Paul tells us. Paul tells us very clearly to do good to others as we have opportunity. Jesus tells us very clearly to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, okay? So you're not faithfully following Jesus if you're not someone who's also imitating his pity. His compassion, right? Even following His example, right? His example, yes, preaching is why He came. Yes, He's going to structure things in such a way so that that still gets to be first and foremost. But as He moves along, as He preaches, as people are brought to Him who need healing, as people are brought to Him who need deliverance from demons, He helps them. He helps them. The fact that this is not what's most important doesn't mean it's not important, okay? So let's do ministry that prizes God above his gifts. Let's prioritize the gospel message and getting it out there far and wide. And let's also do good to others as we have opportunity. Okay, amen.